0: Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you.
1: Tell me this isn't fabulous.
0: This isn't fabulous. Just kidding. I think you may have an obsession. But... These are pretty fantastic deals.
1: We are just lucky that I saw that big ad for this sale at Macy's in this morning's AM New York on our way to breakfast. I mean, can we call it luck? A shoe sale? Are you kidding? That's beyond luck. And most of these are fabulous. Look at these red pumps. They would go perfect with that gorgeous red dress we got here last week. I don't know. Come on. Get on board. Hope. What's the most beautiful thing in the world? A shoe. That a girl. Okay,
0: okay, we'll get them. What about these? I love these boots.
1: Mm, I suppose you'll need some for the fall. Or maybe we could get these cute green stilettos with the straps and no, then... The... Now let's not
0: get carried away now. <sighs> whisper i'm your host hope bird and with me is my co-host andrew cortez
1: today we are going to be discussing the fabulous show kinky boots
0: so hurry and take your seats it looks like the show is starting
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. Ladies, gentlemen, and those who have yet to make up their mind, as the world continues to clamor for this hit Broadway show, we feel honored to finally be bringing it to you. Today, we are bringing you the sexy and powerful show, Kinky Boots.
0: The hit show brought legendary pairs both on and off stage together and developed a new movement within the theater, stirring up love and acceptance that was welcome and
1: needed. But before we can step into those fabulous boots, we have to first return to the groundwork.
0: Kinky Boots is based on the 2005 British film of the same name, which was in turn inspired by a 1999 episode of the BBC2 documentary television series, Trouble at the Top. It followed the true story of Steve Pateman, who was struggling to save his family-run shoe factory from closure and decided to produce fetish footwear for men under the brand name Divine Footwear.
1: Daryl Roth, a Tony Award-winning producer, saw the film at the 2006 Sundance Film Festival and fell in love with its heart and soul. She felt that its themes resonated and thought that the story had potential as source material for a musical. Independently, Hal Luftig saw the film in London and agreed, quote, that its heart and humanity and bigger than life leading lady would translate well to musical theater, end quote.
0: Within a year, Roth secured the rights to adapt the film to stage and partnered with Luftig a Tony and Olivier award-winning producer.
1: By mid-2008, Roth and Luftig were in discussions with a potential director, Jerry Mitchell, but they still had not found writers. When Roth sent Mitchell the DVD of the film, he was enthusiastic about it. Roth and Luftig hired Mitchell to direct and Harvey Firestein to write the book.
0: Mitchell knew that Firestein and Cyndi Lauper were friends and he thought they would make a good team to create the musical. Firestein agreed and eventually approached Lauper to write the songs because he, quote, saw in the adaptation an opportunity to work with someone with a big musical range, someone who could write club music along with show tunes, end quote. Lauper joined the creative team in June 2010.
1: Lopper's last project before Kinky Boots had been the album Memphis Blues, while Firestein was working on Newsies when he began Kinky Boots. The work marked Lopper's debut as a musical theater songwriter, although she had some theatrical experience, having performed on Broadway in the 2006 Roundabout Theater Company production of the Three Penny Opera.
0: Among Firestein's prior experiences were works about drag queens, La Cage aux and Torch Song Trilogy. Lopper has said that she identifies with drag queens.
1: Firestein and Lopper had both gained previous critical acclaim and honors in their respected fields. Firestein had won four Tonys, Acting and Writing Awards for Torch Song Trilogy and Acting... Uh, Tony for Hairspray, and one for writing the book of Lacage. Lauper Lopper is a chart-topping singer-songwriter and actress who had won Grammy, Emmy, and many other awards for her songs and performances.
0: Firestein noted a change in focus between the film about the saving of the factory and the musical, which included drag queens singing as they pass along the, the assembly line. He said the main difference is that the musical is, at its core, about two young men who become, who come from seemingly opposite worlds who figure out that they have a lot in common, beginning with the need to stand up to their dads.
1: Lauper's inspirations range from the musicals South Pacific and West Side Story to Aaron Copeland's Appalachian Spring and pop singer Lana Del Rey. In a broadcast interview with Patrick Healy of the New York Times, Lauper and Firestein said... That in adapting the film, they stressed themes of community and the universality of the father-son bond as vehicles to explore the issues of tolerance and self-acceptance.
0: Kinky Boots was given a reading on October 6, 2011. Lopper was actively engaged in refining the material once the cast began readings. In January 2012, Roth announced that the show would be workshopped that month and that Stark Sands and Billy Porter had been cast in the starring roles. In August 2012, the producers announced the Broadway opening date of April 4, 2013.
1: On February 6, 2012, the Chicago Tribune reported that Kinky Boots producers were considering taking advantage of an incentive program from the state of Illinois for out-of-town tryouts for Broadway shows. The October 2012 pre-Broadway Chicago tryout was announced on February 22, 2012.
0: On June 28, 2012, the full Chicago cast was announced. The production was rehearsed at the new 42nd Street Studios in New York City in September 2012. The show began its pre-Broadway run at the Bank of America Theater in Chicago on October 2, 2012, which continued until November 12. 4th,
1: 2012. Mitchell and Rockwell had previously collaborated on Hairspray, Catch Me If You Can, and Legally Blonde. Mitchell told the New York Times that everybody say yeah scene in which the cast celebrates the creation of the first pair of kinky boots with a choreographed celebration on conveyor belts required repeated innovations and adjustments like the eventual addition of safety rails and actor controls for the apparatus.
0: Designer Derek McLean commented that it is not uncommon for repeat choreographer-set designer collaborations to result in intriguing innovation, like the conveyor belt dance scene in Kinky Boots. McLean was impressed with the series of conveyor belts that came apart, moved around, and fit the context of the story, in order to accentuate the choreography of a troop of men in four-inch heels. With respect to the conveyor belts, he said, They've never been used as dynamically as this, creating a series of surprises with the kind of wild athleticism that actually looks dangerous. It's one of the more thrilling combinations of stage design and choreography that I can recall.
1: After the tryout, the team went back to work, adding a new musical number for Charlie and a second song in the drag club, removing another song and revising the book.
0: This is a good time to introduce our design team. Book by Harvey Firestein, Music and lyrics by Cindy Lauper. Director and choreographer, Jerry Mitchell. Scenic design, David Rockwell.
1: Costume design, Greg Barnes. Lighting design, Kenneth Posner. Sound design, John Shevers. Hair design, Josh Marquette. And makeup design, Randy Houston Mercer.
0: The show would arrive at the Al Hirschfeld Theater on April 4th, 2013 and would play 2,505 performances until it closed on April 7th, 2019.
1: That season, it would garner 13 Tony nominations and chase away with six. Best Sound Design of a Musical for John Sheavers. Best Choreography for Jerry Mitchell. Best Orchestrations for Stephen Orimus. Best Original Score for Cyndi Lauper best actor in a musical for Billy Porter who played Lola and best musical.
0: The New York Times noted that in the 2012-2013 season, most of the new Broadway musicals were inspired by movies or books. The paper found the show timely for its treatment of problems that paralleled those at the time of its production, including chronic unemployment, financial distress, and the collapsing or sorry, the collapse of manufacturing.
1: Prior to the June 9, 2013 Tony Awards, Kinky Boots had trailed its box office competitor, Matilda the Musical, in advance sales. However, less than a month after opening, Kinky Boots surpassed this rival in weekly box office gross.
0: The day after the Tony Awards, the show sold $1.25 million in tickets and its advance ticket sales for future dates became a hot commodity. In the weeks following its Tony wins, the show became so popular that in the beginning of July, a special ticket lottery system was created to keep fans from camping outside the theater.
1: Kinky Boots set a new box office record at the Al Hirschfeld Theater and recouped its $13.5 million capitalization in a relatively quick 30 weeks of performances, which was faster than any big-budget musical in recent history. In October 2013, Kinky Boots had the second-highest premium price ticket on Broadway, behind only The Book of Mormon. After its six-year run, closing on April 7, 2019, the show had grossed $319 million.
0: Following Christopher Baum's commodification paradigm, one could suggest Kinky Boots' unprecedented financial power is a consequence of the musical's ability to tap into aspects of a society's ideological makeup, such as issues regarding financial strife and LGBTQIA discrimination.
1: The musical's economic clout empowers a shift in the American cultural climate. Uh engendering acceptance of cross-dressing and transgender individuals. For example, on November 28, 2013, members of the cast performed the finale of the show in the nationally televised Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Many viewers commented that, in their opinion, the performance was inappropriate for a family program. By contrast, some spectators applauded the performance for sharing messages of inclusivity and diversity.
0: This demonstrates how the musical's financial power has played a strong role in starting a dialogue, both support and criticism, facilitating the necessary steps to open people's minds and hearts towards the LGBTQIA plus Americans. Firestein responded that the show's inclusion in the parade reflected the decreasing prejudice and increased tolerance for LGBTQ people in society. The performance of of August 26, 2015 marked the 1,000th Broadway performance for the production.
1: The West End production began previews at the Adelphi Theatre in London on August 21, 2015, with its official opening night on September fifteenth of that year. Though the show is set in a British town, it took a concerted effort to remove Americanisms from the Broadway production. Kinky Boots closed on January 12, 2019, after over 1,400 performances. It would go on to win three Laurence Olivier Awards, including Best New Musical.
0: Several other international productions and tours would also be mounted since the show premiered on Broadway. And this summer-slash-fall, the show will return to New York City at Stage 42.
1: One last note about the show. The original cast album won the Grammy Award for Best Musical Theater Album.
0: So, let's visit the land of Lola.
1: The show starts by showing Charlie Price as he grows up as the fourth generation son in his family's business, Price and Son, a shoe manufacturing company with its factory in Northampton.
0: Another young boy, growing up in Clacton, is as fascinated by shoes as Charlie is bored by them. But in this case, it is a pair of red women's heels that have attracted his attention, aggravating his strict father.
1: Years pass, and Charlie's father is aging and hopes Charlie will take over the factory. Still, Charlie is eager to move to London with his status-conscious fiancé, Nicola, and pursue a real estate career.
0: Charlie has barely made it into his new flat in London when his father dies suddenly. Charlie hurries home for the funeral, where he finds the factory near bankruptcy. The factory makes good quality men's shoes, but... They are not stylish and not cheap, and the market for them is drying up.
1: Charlie is determined to save the factory and his father's legacy, though he has no desire to run price and sense himself. The workers, many of whom have known Charlie his entire life, do not understand why Charlie moved away in the first place, and many are hostile and skeptical of the new management.
0: Returning to London, Charlie meets his friend and fellow shoe salesman, Harry, in a pub to ask for help. Harry can only offer a temporary solution and advises Charlie not to fight the inevitable.
1: Upon leaving the pub, Charlie witnesses a woman being accosted by two drunks. He intervenes and is knocked unconscious. He comes to in a seedy nightclub where the woman he attempted to rescue is revealed to have been the club's drag queen headliner, Lola, who performs with her backup troupe of drag queens, the Angels.
0: Recuperating from his ordeal in Lola's dressing room, an uncomfortable Charlie notices the performer's high-heeled boots are not designed to hold a man's weight. Lola explains that the expensive and unreliable footwear is an essential part to any drag act.
1: Charlie returns to the factory and begins reluctantly laying off his workers. Lauren, one of the women on the assembly line, explodes at Charlie when given her notice and stubbornly tells him that other struggling shoe factories have survived by entering an underserved niche market. This gives Charlie an idea and he invites Lola to come to the factory to help him design a woman's boot that can be comfortable for a man.
0: Lola and the angels arrive at the factory and she is immediately dissatisfied with Charlie's first boot design. Quickly getting the women of the factory on her side, she draws a quick design of a boot, explaining the most important factor is by far the heel.
1: George, the factory manager, realizes a way to make her design practical. An impressed Charlie begs Lola to stay until a prestigious footwear show in Milan in three weeks to design a new line of kinky boots that, will, that could save the factory.
0: Lola is reluctant, since she is already receiving crass comments from Don, the factory foreman, and some other factory workers, but is flattered by Charlie's praise and finally agrees.
1: Charlie announces that the factory will be moving ahead with production on the boots. He thanks Lauren for giving him the idea and offers her a promotion. She accepts and is horrified but thrilled to realize she is falling for him.
0: The next day, Lola shows up in men's clothing and is mocked by Don and his friends. An upset Lola takes refuge in the bathroom, and Charlie attempts to comfort her. Lola explains that her father trained her as a boxer, but disowned her when she showed up for a match in drag. The two discover their similarly complex feelings towards their fathers, and Lola introduces herself by Her birth name, Simon.
1: Nicola and her boss, Richard Bailey, arrive from London and present Charlie with a plan for the factory that Richard has drawn up, closing it and converting it into condominiums.
0: Charlie refuses, but is in shock to discover that his father had already agreed to this plan before he died. Presumably because Charlie was not there to run it. He refuses to sell, and soon the workers are celebrating as the first pair of kinky boots is finished.
1: When Act 2 starts, some of the factory workers are not enthusiastic about the radical change in their product line. Some of them, especially the intimidated Dawn, make Lola feel very unwelcome. Lola taunts him back, enlisting the female factory workers help to prove that Lola is closer to a woman's ideal man than Dawn.
0: Lola presents Don with a unique wager to see who is the better, quote, man. Lola will do anything that Don specifies if Don will do the same for her. Don's challenge is for Lola to fight him in a boxing match at the pub. Charlie, remembering Lola's background, is horrified. Lola easily scores against Don in the ring, but ultimately lets Don win the match.
1: Afterward, Don asks why she let him win. And Lola replies that she cannot be so cruel as to humiliate Don in front of his mates. She gives him her part of the challenge. Accept someone for who they are.
0: Charlie is pouring his own money into the factory to ensure that it will be ready in time for Milan. And he is getting frantic that the product is not right, angrily forcing his staff to redo what he considers to be shoddy work. Nicola arrives, fed up with Charlie's obsession over the factory, and breaks up with him.
1: Lola has been making some decisions about production and preparations without consulting Charlie. When he discovers that she has decided to have her angels wear the boots on the runway, rather than hiring professional models, an overwhelmed Charlie lashes out at her, humiliating her in front of the other workers.
0: Lola storms out, and the factory workers go home alone charlie struggles with the weight of his father's legacy and what it means to be his own man
1: lauren finds charlie and tells him to come back to the factory it is revealed dawn has persuaded the workers to return to work and to sacrifice a week's pay to ensure the boots can be finished in time for milan charlie is astonished and grateful and asks if don has paid up on his wager to accepting lola by accepting lola Lauren explains that the person that Don has accepted is Charlie himself.
0: As he heads to the airport for Milan, Charlie leaves in heart, a heartfelt apology on Lola's voicemail. Meanwhile, Lola performs her act at a nursing home in her hometown. After she leaves the stage, she speaks to her dying father, who uses a wheelchair and reaches a sense of closure.
1: Charlie and Lauren arrive in Milan, but without models, Charlie is forced to walk the runway himself. Lauren is thrilled by his dedication, but the show threatens to be a disaster. Just as
0: all hope seems lost, Lola and her angels arrive to save the day. Lauren and Charlie share their first kiss, and the whole company celebrates the success of the Kinky Boots. The The end. End
1: discuss the parts of the show we liked and maybe didn't like do doo do wah oh yeah gosh you thought you got me but guess what i just linda belchered you how does that make you feel sip your coffee all right the show i'm gonna be honest with you this is one of my favorite shows truly and honestly this is um, on the hoot scale, it's a hoot and a half. It's, it's a hoot and a holla. It's, it's fabulous. I love the story. I love the music. Most of all, I love the boots. Yes.
0: I mean, this show has everything that you could ever want in a Broadway musical. Um, it's gorgeous. It has a good message. It has quotable lines. It has earworms. It, it's ham and cheese. It's heartfelt. It's great, and I love it.
1: Um, I remember the first time we saw the show, and I guess I should have said this for the memories, but I'm gonna say it now anyway. Um, at intermission, I leaned over to you and I just went, "I want a pair of those boots <laughs> for my birthday." I want a pair of those boots. They were just fabulous. Um, yeah, you messaged it. The, or mentioned it. The message is just really, it's it's powerful and it's important. You know, mm-hmm. it's oh, it's well, so and, good in, in
0: the simplest way. It it helped to. Alter mainstream ideas of the spaces that drag queens can exist in without um, persecution.
1: Yes, and the supporting characters were just as vital and deep as the main characters in the show as well. I thought that was really fantastic. You know, I love the character obviously of, of Charlie and Lola and, and Lauren and even Nicola to some extent. But then you also had the characters of like. Dawn and um, George and uh, I can't think of their names. There were the other two ladies on the floor. The mm-hmm. One that cheered on for Dawn, but then the other one that came over to help Lola. And then you had the lady who was like bringing the tea and everything. You know, you, mm-hmm. you had these, these supporting characters that
0: you had a full, cheer for. Yeah, you had a whole community that was made up of differing people.
1: Yeah, and it just made the show. This was really just a full on complete whole show. Mm -hmm. And no matter how many times you saw it, it was better and better and better. And you got something out of it each time that was different. Yeah. You know, and honestly, there are few and far between shows that you will see on Broadway that are just whole and complete, that everything is just firing on all cylinders. And you leave and you go, that, 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 that is, is, that is going to be one of those footnotes on the Broadway timeline right there. That, not saying that uh, a Broadway show can't be good, but. It's just, it's full. It, it can, it will stand the test of time and all that jazz. So, we should probably start breaking things down. Get your pickaxe out. Ching, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> um, <laughs> listen, this is the mindset we're in today, alright? That's great. We're doing um, this.
0: You know, let's start with the set. You gotta start at your foundation, let's right? Let's set the set. Yes.
1: Dad jokes for days. Um, I thought the set was brilliant. I loved walking in and seeing that brick wall, that that, that Northern England, eh, Midland England kind of looking factory wall. Mm-hmm. Um, just welcoming you
0: with the giant Price and Sun sign. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I love that eventually they'd hang the boot on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it made that that uh, I guess the the. What should we call it, the, the, the home base set? You know, like shows have that, that um, their, their base, like where they start each act.
0: And then how they modify it.
1: Yeah, so they incorporate that open set into the show. So it's not just like a curtain that hides everything.
0: Right, well because everything in this show has, like, it's, I mean I think the base is a great way to describe it. The base is the factory.
1: Well, no, no. I, well, hold on. What I mean is, like, they didn't use a curtain. The set first set was like a curtain, but they still made it act as a set. So it wasn't just to set the mood, to give us the placement of the thing, and then they rolled up that flat, and it was like, oh, we're in a factory. How cool. It was actually like, no, this is an actual set piece. People were entering and exiting through the door. Yes. And then in Act 2, they hung the boot on the sign, and I was like, oh, so we're actually not just using this as masking as a curtain – Because it would look weird to start the show and whatnot with a curtain. That feels too proper. Um, But they also use that. Because other shows, like, for instance, Wicked, they drop that map of Oz down. Mm -hmm. But they never really use that map of Oz. It's just, it's a curtain. It
0: it exists uh, as the fourth wall. Right. And you watch that fourth wall rise to just kind of be like, yes, everything's happening behind the curtain.
1: And that's exactly how this factory wall that we, we walk in and we see first... Does but then they use it as a set, which I really like. So it's like
0: it's like you go into the show rather than go up to the show. And
1: in fact, the show starts with Don walking out, and he's on the phone, and he. I love that announcement too, where he's like, "What? No, I'm not a show, so I've got to turn my phone off." And like he looks at the audience that way, and I'm like, "That's Mm -hmm. that's one of the more clever ways I've heard seen the pre-show announcement, you know." And. And by the way, no pictures, and the, you know. So I like that. I like the way we essentially had the two worlds. You know, we had the club, which you know I would group in there along with the club. You had the the Milan stage. They were kind of similar, similar, and set setup where you had the runway. You, runway. The club.
0: So the club didn't actually have a runway. It
1: had a proscenium. I thought I had a stage where she walked out Mm -mm. to... I see, I can't... It's been that long. Okay. But I love, like, the fans that came off the stage in the club. Mm -hmm. Um, Since I've brought up Milan, I love the way that the stage would open up to fan out.
0: Yes. Isn't that why? It did have some good amount of automation because not only did you have, like, the case for Nicola that rises and falls that has her beautiful pair of shoes in it, um, you know, her Louis Vuittons that she wants... Or, um, but then you also have um, the rotating center that doubles as oh, uh, the, the office. office. But, that but come... then underneath it, that's where we have part of the stage. That's we have also, the
1: bathrooms. We have the
0: bathrooms, like so, it's 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 multi multi purpose center that rotates and moves. And then you have um, the
1: staircase that they would move to double from up to the office, mm-hmm. but also to the entrance of the factory where the angels and Lola make their Mm -hmm. entrance. Um, And the other thing I thought would be worth mentioning um, is, and we... Look, we've got to talk about it because we mentioned it in the synopsis, um, is the conveyor belts. Yes. And all of those conveyor belts and everything... Oh, well, uh, let's start with the conveyor belts. The conveyor belts actually working and them, incorporating them in the choreography was really cool. You know, basically... What was that group that did the Here We Go, Here We Go? You know the music video. I'm oh. talking about? Oh, okay, go. Yeah. When they did the music video on the treadmills, that's exactly what I was getting from it. And yeah. I was like, this is fun.
0: But happening live and eight it shows. Eight shows a week.
1: Um, the other thing I was going to say is all the machinery was also like may not have been like full-on real like they would use in a shoe factory but it, there was it was functioning you had the air compressor that lauren would sing into during charlie and i mean you would hear it when she was blowing her hair you had the thing that would press the shoe and mm-hmm. i don't know that it was actually pressing the shoe but there was that automation since we were talking about it where you'd put a shoe in and it'd come out and you know all of that stuff was happening there were working machines on stage and i'm sure they weren't actually like pressing leather on stage it was it's the illusion but still to have that there was a fully functioning factory on the stage
0: yeah and the fact that it could just flow from being a factory to being london to being a club in london to being milan to being a bathroom you know was just very brilliantly used it was very flowing um, which i always love to see in a set
1: yes yeah so the, we we've we've harped on the set, I think we should go to a category I don't think we would talk about as much. Um, Especially
0: not in a show like this. No,
1: so let's hit costumes.
0: Are they're okay? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> this is another one of those shows that I love the costume design. Yes. I absolutely adore it because not only do you have to look you know, you have to have cast members that look everyday people like
1: which is not an easy look to do no. and it's also a dated show
0: right well because you not only have to give each person their personality and their clothing but then also you have to like take age into consideration class and you know time
1: like job all of that yeah.
0: And so it's, it does a beautiful job of creating real people that look like they belong in the same world together. Mm-hmm. But then also, the other thing you have going on is the larger-than-life drag queens. Yes. And you have to be able to do that elevated drag style and have it look different enough that it you know stands out as larger and larger than life but also still has to blend into the world that we've created on stage
1: right and 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 the one i'm thinking of in particular though is is obviously lola because lola doesn't just have these stage looks she has these everyday drag looks too Mm -hmm. so she
0: has a night drag and a day drag and a professional drag
1: right right and and making those levels so that it keeps us guessing, but it keeps us hooked is really, really important. And that's just, and when we were talking about costume right now, we're not just talking about the clothing they're wearing. We're also talking about hair. We're also talking about makeup and it's a full on look. Um, Mm -hmm. Before we go any further, I, I have to just, I have to start at the end. I have to start at the end with the angels with those iconic outfits that just when you thought you'd seen everything, you know the lights go out and they come back on and there's Lola and she's singing that finale song and all of a sudden here come the angels and they're in the beef eater outfit or the full on London city look or the circus look or the lioness look like they're all these mm-hmm. theme looks but it's or incredible. Or the soldier
0: look. Like yeah, it's it, it
1: With is, the th- What is it? Is it thigh high or knee high? What would you call it?
0: Well, it depends on where they hit.
1: So the kinky boots are that they're, they're, they're they hit just above the knee. So, is that that's not thigh, is it? That's thigh. That's thigh? Okay, okay. So, these thigh, thigh high high kinky boots. boots, they're all in it, and it's just, oh, what it, what it, honestly, what it hearkened to me, what it kind of reminded me of, was, um, Ziegfeld's Follies, a modern day Ziegfeld Follies, because they had these really tall headpieces, mm-hmm. they were in these huge heels, and this silhouette.
0: Well, and that's one of the things that I love that this show got to showcase the idea to a mainstream audience that the idea of the drag camp walk the runway. Right. Because the clothing at the end is camp. It is is styled camp.
1: I would say camp couture, though. Camp couture, yes. Because the campiest thing to me actually is the boxing match. When one of the angels is the bell, they're dressed similarly as the bell, and two of them act as the the boxing referees. rings uh,
0: oh, ropes, that, mm-hmm.
1: and then the other one's the referee. That to me is camp, but the final scene is to me camp couture because of the theme behind it. Yes, it's well, because much everything has elevated. It's almost high fashion. Yes, but it, it is. Walks, it's
0: that. It's that drag high fashion. Camp because it's not quite like it's not like Sasha Velour um, like elevated high couture drag. It's not, it, it's that. not
1: something that you would see on the necessarily on the cover of Vogue. That, but it's also not like hamming it up, like wah wah. It's exactly. literally it's that like fine. It, it's like we are, man, this is a hard way to put it. It's, it's art. It is honestly, it's art. Mm-hmm. And and they're they're glorifying where they're from and they're glorifying these shoes and they they know the thing well here's the thing in the setting of what they're at they're at this Milan shoes fest uh, shoe show and they are um, they know that this is a niche market this is new keep in mind that when this was happening this is a new idea so they are full on tapping in the idea of this is where we're from and this is what we're selling and how they presented it was a completely new idea so they were. They were really leaning into the idea of, we have to present a larger-than-life image. So they went into the what are some iconic looks from where we're from, which is England, and how can we present it in a high-fashion way, though? Mm-hmm. That's why I like you know they had the bee feeder, but it had that short ruffled skirt oh, to yeah. emphasize it the boots. It was extremely
0: feminized. I mean, it is what camp couture is all about. ...is creating a themed look that is fun and playful, that plays with gender roles.
1: Yeah. And then, of course, we I, I, I want to say it. The, from the show, no matter where you are in the world, you recognize that two and a half feet of tubular shacks...
0: Irresistible!
1: Irresistible! I knew I forgot one word. <laughs> Two and a half feet of irresistible tubular shag. Yes, the the iconic Kiki boots. I mean, they're recognizable the world over, you know. And so to see everyone in it at the end, especially Dawn, you know these mm-hmm. these boots. They've just they've changed the world. They've changed the mindset. Um, and
0: well, what really is is these boots. Have become an icon of of, of a
1: movement or of idea.
0: Yes, they've become. They Not become, just of the show. Exactly, they've become this idea of acceptance and
1: tolerance. Yes, I uh, yes, completely, completely agree, ten times over. Yeah. So we could go on and on about costumes. Oh, one hundred really could we, we might want to move on. Um, right, let's talk about the lights a little. They're fabulous. Um, the finale was beautiful. I love the use of some projections
0: and the neon, the neon shoe signs. Yep, the yep. pop up and um, all the
1: like. It's almost like a concert.
0: Mm-hmm. One of my favorite moments is during Lola's Act Two Ballad when she's singing to her the dad. The light coming
1: from behind. The light
0: coming from behind and spinning, and it's like the light is coming from her out to you. Yes. And it is just, it is beautiful. It's like.
1: Especially it, with that white dress she wears and she's...
0: Well, and it's like Diana, Diana Rouse yes. in reverse. Yes. Because instead of all of us shining our light to Diana, it's Lola shining her light out onto us. And
1: that part of her dress that's flowing and she's able to throw it in that light, it's just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. Um, I thought it was a perfect balancing stage, particularly when we're in the factory you can tell what time of day it was, and the lighting, the overall palette, it wasn't bright. Like it wasn't bright white. It was this soft beige yellow. Felt very working class,
0: mm-hmm. yet still was bright enough to let us know that we're in a musical comedy.
1: Right, but it just you, you it, 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 the I would say the light is like a light bulb in a lamp. Yes, you know. Um, I want to go on to the direction. I want to go on to Jerry Mitchell. Jerry, come sit down. We have some words for you. Um, I thought it was a... Like I said, this is a full, complete musical. It's whole. So this is a wonderful marrying of all the elements. Mm-hmm. Perfect execution of storytelling and communication of a powerful message. There's a great... I mean, Harvey Fierstein is just brilliant, 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 brilliant writer, all in all. And he has written a gorgeous book. And pairing that with the Cindy. beautiful music of Cyndi Lauper and just everything else, you can not only get this fantastic story that makes you laugh and feel, but then you also get this powerful message, and it's conveyed by these brilliant actors. Well,
0: and one thing I really love um, about... I mean, and maybe this is more music than direction, but I love that the tone of the speaking was the same in the music. It was, it, it was this... The script and the sound that is, you know, timeless yet familiar—if okay. that makes sense—not
1: particularly, but it does in a way. Okay. I kind of follow it. I'm almost on your level. Um, I thought that that Jerry Mitchell did a great job of making the show campy enough, but not over the top. So right. it wasn't so like vaudevillian, like wah wah, and it wasn't a drag show. Right. We we were not so much poking fun or satirizing were more of educating or laughing or embracing. I think, I think
0: more of what we're doing is inviting the audience into the world to see that it's not a scary place. And yes. that these people are real people just like you.
1: Yeah. And I just thought that, that Jerry did a great job of harnessing this story in the show and making it into a the perfect flow into something honest and real and perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, the flow and the pace was just so, like, it just it went it didn't everything was paced perfectly from the comedy to the right dramatic pauses just everything it felt right you didn't have that moment when you were like that didn't that didn't quite land right everything you just one of of the moments I love the most is when Charlie works so hard he's like I'm gonna make a shoe and the first shoe he makes yeah he's got this it's gonna be great and then he shows it to Lola and Lola goes dude God tell me I didn't inspire something burgundy, you know? And that and it just starts slow and it amps and it gets Mm -hmm. bigger and louder and faster and it's just like, yes, but every night, every time I saw it, it would always start at different paces, but it would always feel natural and real and you were like Yeah, we've all had that moment where we've asked someone to do something and you see it and you're like God, tell me that's not what you think of me when you...
0: <laughs> right. Well, and one of the other things I really appreciate about the way this show was done is that even though there is talk of romantic love throughout the show, the message of this show being about platonic love and what that means and With how... Charlie
1: and well, Lola. I, but
0: not even just Charlie and Lola. Well, I guess
1: Charlie and Don, or Lola and Don and
0: everyone this yeah. show is about platonic love and how you how it relates to your life and how platonic love is something that we should embrace we don't have to be afraid that you know of love existing outside of a romantic relationship
1: yeah. we
0: can have platonic love and it can exist
1: yeah that's good That uh, yeah um you mentioned something about the music so why don't we talk about the music Complete and total earworms all over the place. I mean, Cyndi Lauper, I love Cyndi Lauper. And she can write music anytime she wants because this is one of the best scores in recent Broadway history. I adore it.
0: And every time you start to be like, nah, it's old, it's dated, you hear it and you just go, nah, nah, nah. This is refreshing. This is fun. This is, like, well, and what I mean by that, um, that familiarness is it doesn't necessarily take place in a certain time period. But there's an overall sound that just feels like home and comfort.
1: It, it's, yeah, because the music... It's I, poppy. It, it, yeah, but it's weird. It, it's, you know This was written in 2013, but even now it fits in just fine. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like it's from almost 10 years ago, if that makes sense. It fits in just fine with the, the environment that exists now. I think the, the song I like the least out of the entire score, honestly, is Lola's song. Hold me in your heart. Yeah, um, and it and 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 I want to be clear though. It is a great song. And I do like it, but I'm just like if I had to rank everything, that would be the one. But it's like the most different from all the other ones. But I mean, I could I I um, um, raise you up. Just be is like my bread and butter. Everybody say yeah. Come on now. How? Uh,
0: right. I mean, just be who you want to be. Never yeah. let them tell you how you have the to The opening
1: song, the most beautiful thing in the world. The minute mm. I heard that I went, "Oh my god, this show is for me."
0: I, I also can't s- I can't see the name Charlie without hearing Charlie. Charlie. Um. Yeah, 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 yay.
1: You know. Yep. <laughs> Whatever. The history of Wrong Guys. Yes. Yeah. Chapter One. He's a bum. Hell, oh, we could yeah. sing the
0: whole soundtrack, but they don't Absolutely. think that's why our listeners
1: listen. No. <laughs> um, but on top of it, just being addicting and danceable and singable, there's a great message that it carries with it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I love that the basically the show ends with the six steps.
0: Yes. To be
1: a better person, and it's you know it is clever and catchy, but then I'm like, pay attention to it though, because. Yeah. That's real. I love you. Change the world when you change your mind.
0: Mm-hmm. Accept yourself, and you'll accept others too. Oh my gosh!
1: You know, say it for the people in the back. Now more than ever, we need to hear and live by those rules. You know, because it's it's so important. So, Cyndi Lauper, man, she first time out the gate writing music for a Broadway show. Okay, well, can you do it again, please? Because oh my hell, that <laughs> was so I liked good. It. <laughs> so the other thing that Jerry Mitchell did besides direct. He of course he did the choreography, and I feel like maybe we should mention a few things about that. I mean, they right? did dance in heels, and it was
0: pretty iconic choreography.
1: So, as I've mentioned, it's not easy to dance in heels to begin with, you know. But to be dancing in these six-inch heels, at least,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and on conveyor belts and stairs that are moving.
0: Well, and here's the thing to also remember. They didn't hire drag queens specifically to play the roles of the uh, angels. They auditioned it just like they would any other show. So yes, there might have been some queens in the cast, but there were also just, you know, non-queen... They're just uh,
1: regular actors. Yeah,
0: just regular uh, ensemble dancers that trained to dance the choreography in these heels.
1: Yeah, but... It doesn't matter, drag queen or actor, I mean, they're all performers. It's not easy to do the choreography that was presented to them in those shoes, on conveyor belts, on stairs, on the state, whatever it may be. And they nailed it. Mm-hmm. And again, the power of the theater, you know, eight times a week, live, one shot. It was incredible. It was just incredible to see what they were doing. Um, and yeah, that ensemble, the angels, the moves they were doing, the death drops, the splits, everything. I mean, it was, wow. Um, it may it may not have been like the most difficult and complex choreography. Um, you know, there weren't these huge like dance numbers, but, you know, triples and quadruple pirouettes and big leaps and lifts and stuff, but it did exactly what it needed to do. It helped communicate the story and emotions and helped further the story. That That is what the choreography is meant to do. You know, oh, we, we've run out of ways to express it. We can't speak it. We can't sing it, so we're going to move and get our message across. And it did just that. And, and they did. didn't have to go and do all these super spins and lifts mm-hmm. and that. They could just do the sassy walk. Done, done. Uh, well, bum, bum, You know, that's well, sexy and, also,
0: and the sexes in the hill. Yeah, or, yeah... Um, the What a Man um, number uh, in the factory where you had the entire ensemble there they weren't all necessarily like dancing but they had movement and they it had, fit
1: into what, w- what Lola was saying. Yes
0: because there was dancing and there was movement but it was it, it was beautiful it was beautifully done and I loved it.
1: It was exciting and at times it also felt new which yes. was really really great. I Yeah I I loved it.
0: The show has had several notable performers, including Stark Sands, Billy Porter, Annalee Ashford, Lena Hall, Daniel Sherman, Jennifer Perry, Brandon Urey, Wayne Brady, Todrick Hall, and Taylor Lauterman.
1: So let's now talk about the impact the show has had on the theater and its history. Oh, oh my goodness. Impactful? <laughs> you so know, now let's talk about No, I'm just kidding. Um
0: honestly, it, when it comes to Kinky Boots, it didn't really hit me until we started prepping for this episode how impactful it was. Cuz I know it was personally impactful, but I didn't realize how much of it would go on to be impactful to other, like, other facets of history.
1: Right. So the first one we're going to hit then is theatrical impact. And I will lead off with, it brought a powerful message of inclusivity and acceptance to the stage. Now, this wasn't the first show to do that. I mean, Harvey Fierstein already worked on, uh, you know, a show. Yeah, exactly, you know. Um, But uh, to me, this was... A different message, but still the same, but it's even more powerful.
0: Well, and I think that what really has happened is you had um, a show like La Caja Fall that opened the door. And then Kinky Boots was able to step through and show. Yeah. Because, you know, especially with society, especially with how we have been, um, you know, rooted in America specifically, we have this idea of this Puritan culture that's just in... Integrated into everything in our lives that a lot of us don't even think about, so it's been a hard time coming to be accepting of the other, the people who are different, the subculture, and so really, you had La Cage aux that was the first to first musical really to be like, hey, this is a gay relationship.
1: First successful.
0: Sorry, first successful musical. To be like, hey, here is a um, a genderqueer relationship. And they gave us just enough to be comfortable so that some place down the road we get kinky boots where we can, we've already gotten comfortable with that idea. Now we can take that idea even further and be like, hey, it's okay. You don't have to, you know, it's not as scary as it seems. Mm-hmm. And so I think really that's why kinky boots could be so successful because they were given allowance from the shows that came before it to be more outright with their message
1: right um i thought i mean to tag onto that it was another hugely successful lgbtq show mm-hmm. and that should be important i mean uh one day we'll do an uh, an episode hopefully of the curtain call conversation where we talk nothing about uh, nothing but queer theater. Queer theater is a total subset genre in theater, but this was another hugely successful show in that genre. Um, this is Cindy Launder, Cindy Lopper's first success as a musical theater composer, and I want to emphasize that as a first success, because I'm sure she's going to have more. I, I don't mm-hmm. think she's done with the musical theater yet. She seems to like completely it's like the rebirth of Cindy Lopper. She seems to love this world and be like, oh, this is so much fun, and we're like yes please you come sit by us we adore you (laughs) and then the other thing I would just add is that this is just another show that helped elevate the world of drag that helped bring the audience a little deeper into the world of drag I guess
0: yes by allowing people to see drag performers as real people
1: right so going on to the societal impact um it in my opinion, in my learned opinion, it held a mirror to society and asked it to really look and focus on acceptance. And not just on on LGBTQ issues, but just really acceptance overall. Mm -hmm. You know, at first I thought Don is kind of copying out by accepting Charlie and not Lola. Like, no, you should be accepting Lola. But then I stopped and I thought and I went, by Don accepting Charlie for all his faults being short-tempered and blah, 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 and rallying the troops, He actually it's the bigger picture thing. The, he keeps his job, everybody keeps his job, there's a chance they can keep the factory open, and da, 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 da. If he had just accepted Lola, who would have brought everybody back together to get the, the, the shoes done for Milan? So maybe if we all... It, it, it held that mirror up and went, is there something or someone you should maybe accept for the greater good kind of thing.
0: Well, and, and, and I think less, less than, like, accepting, you know, just anyone, I think it's recognizing that everyone has flaws and that maybe our flaws, in the same respect that our flaws, you know, make us less strong, our faults can also help us Help show who we are. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, because especially taking a look at, like, Charlie, Charlie cares so much about saving the factory because he wants to take care of the people who, he, who took care of him, you mm-hmm. know, who've worked for this business for forever.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so, you know, it's, it's about more than just acceptance of, it's just acceptance of everyone for their faults and who they are. Yeah, um, And I think that that is a beautiful message.
1: I also thought another one is uh, showed a side of the LGBTQ plus world that many have not seen or didn't want to see. Um,
0: well, like we talked about in the beginning about how the financial success of Kinky Boots gave it more power than people thought it could have. Yes. Because it made it a t- hot ticket item. So maybe those those parents who... Um, you know or bringing their kids out to New York for the first time or whatever are like yeah let's go see Kinky Boots because it's the hot ticket and then they end up getting this beautiful message of acceptance
1: well and i mean this is this is right around the time that RuPaul's Drag Race is really taking off and i i mean look i i do not recall much about the gay rights movement and everything of the 80s and the 90s but in my lifetime, this is for me when I remember just a big resurgence of it. This is when we had gay marriage being legalized and everything. This was a big, this was a big move moment, a, bit, a show that a lot of people use as a vessel to communicate these things through. And it was to be like, look, what are you afraid of? Mm-hmm. Furthermore, is your fear worth what it's doing to the other side? Look at the cost on the other side. Do you really think that you're. Bigotry, your persecution, your fear justifies what it's doing on the flip side. And it offered that other side argument in a way that that was palatable. Yeah. And it was like, Oh, again, the idea of the holding up the mirror thing where it's like, Oh, I didn't intend to hurt someone. It's like, yeah, but you are. So maybe take a look at your actions and whatnot and reevaluate.
0: And that's another thing is, you know, I use the word palatable because We could sit here and argue about, well, the truth shouldn't have to be palatable, and I completely agree with that, but it's like the saying goes, you catch more flies with honey. Like, sometimes in order to get a foot in the door, you have to make it a little more palatable for the other side so that they can begin to see the differences.
1: Completely agree. Um, I've already mentioned that it elevated the the art of drag and gender bending in a way that comments as gender audiences could relate to and understand, and like I said, pairing that with the rise and success of RuPaul's Drag Race, I thought a lot of people went, ooh, you know. Um, but I do want to clarify that that the art of drag and the art of drag on Broadway are two different art forms. Very. They deserve two different forms and levels of respect. They all perform at their own level and highly, and kudos, like, I couldn't do that, but I don't want to demean or mitigate one of the other's art form by comparing them side by side or saying that they're the same by any means right, imaginable. They, they are but, different. But if someone saw Kinky Boots and went, Oh my gosh, it's amazing, da, 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 I want to see more and they found their way into like RuPaul's drag race and they started seeing that World of drag and seeing what it what these peop what these 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 people are doing, what it takes, how creative they are and all that. well, great. Like it's art. It's, well, so and it's creative. a it's a way
0: of uh, drag is a way of self expression yes. and exploring gender. And if this show helps to open the eyes of someone who is having a hard time confronting that within themselves, mm-hmm. like that's great. Like, listen, anything that helps people gain a better understanding of themselves is a good thing.
1: Yeah, it started a strong dialogue about the importance of accepting and loving one another, no matter what faults we may perceive others to have, which is i mean hello that's still a thing to the you know the golden rule treat others as you want to be treated but also understand meet people in the middle accept them we uh, nobody is perfect and you're not going to be able to make everybody happy listener i gotta tell you some hard truth real quick you're not a taco you will not make everyone happy but that being said you should be accepted for who you are and, and faults and everything and you should also accept others for who they are, mm-hmm. faults and everything. That doesn't mean that, like, it's, it's a good acceptance, you know? Like, you can accept a bad person with all their faults, but you're like, I accept that that's who they are. But it's more It's not going to be
0: a justification for bad behavior.
1: But more importantly, you you if you can accept someone for their faults and everything as well, that's when real communication, that's when real, real exchanges can begin. And this show really started that strong dialogue and made us kind of look inward and go oh we should really stop throwing rocks and insults and that we should maybe talk maybe we have more in common than we have different mm-hmm. you know my, my fear is really not found into much of anything i thought that it, yeah exactly you you thought it was this but it's not and the last big societal impact i thought that had and this really happened really towards the end of its run on Broadway, but it was it's very important and it contained and they and they really continued this, uh, especially I remember following it when it was on tour, which was it helped to further and support the discussion regarding transgender individuals and their rights. Um, one thing I remember, which I think you alluded to when we were talking off, off the air, uh, was the bathroom bill yes. in North Carolina, and I remember they released a video. Um, when they all went into the bathrooms at the Al Hirschville, and they sang, uh, they were singing Just Be, but they were singing, Just pee where you want to pee. Never let them tell you who you have to be. And I was like, I can't believe we are debating where someone has to use the bat. Like, I feel like more people than not were telling me, as long as you wash your hands, I don't care. But they started, this was a highly Visible public, I'll say figure in in the Mm -hmm. in the show Kinky Boots coming out and being like, "Be who you are," and on the other side, accept who they are, and and they went a step further because this back in two thousand nineteen. Was the first theater I remember going to that had gender neutral bathrooms? When I we walked when I walked in well, the bathroom, it said
0: inclusive bathrooms. Oh,
1: inclusive! I'm sorry, and it just said we we encourage gender inclusivity. Use the bathroom that you identify with.
0: Yeah,
1: and I was like, that's awesome. I mean, it's a bathroom. We all know what we do in the bathroom. Just wash your hands is all mm-hmm. I care about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Please. I don't. After that, I there don't was, care. Yeah. yeah, I don't care what 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 part to use to do what. Just wash your hands. Exactly. It's not important to me. I don't need to know all that. And so the fact that this show was using its celebrity to to do good and fight for good like that was so incredible, mm-hmm. so incredible. And I think with a lot of soon-to-be political issues and that, it kind of paved the way for other shows to start taking up arms in the stand against stuff where it was like, no, this isn't right. We need to say something. And as you had mentioned about the show being, you know, maybe a younger audience being able to see a show whose message is about accept who you are, love who you are, you're perfect, yada, yada, yada. To see that show also say, hey, we see you, you you know, transgender youth or whatever, you are loved and accepted and enough and we see you and, and we're here to protect you and da-da-da. I think that's so important. And mm-hmm. more of that, more of that. So, is the show still relevant? Absolutely yes, a thousand times over. Um, there's a reason it's returning to New York. And that is because the message and the power of the show is more relevant and needed more than ever. Um, we need to create a more loving and accepting world now more than ever and it seems that ever since kinky boots dimmed its light on the great white way the world has become uh, a much darker place and we need to be we need to be reminded of the six-step program to making the world a better place
0: right i mean all i'm saying is it closed in 2019 and then the next year you know the world shut down so um yeah
1: So, what you're saying is, if we bring Kinky Boots back, we can end the pandemic.
0: Uh, I mean, uh, that's what I, uh, yeah.
1: All right, well, that's all it takes. Kinky Boots (laughs) is the answer. (laughs)
0: share some of our own personal stories about experiencing this show.
1: So, we have had the good fortune of getting to see the show seven times. Count them up. Seven. And we're going to go through each of them. No, I'm kidding. Um, We saw the show six times on Broadway and once in Salt Lake City at the brand new Eccles Theater. Um, So, we're going to start all the way out in Utah and start with that one time you saw it in Salt Lake. Um, it was, uh, first of all, the Eccles Theater in Salt Lake City is a gorgeous theater. So, for any of our listeners in Utah, you may know, you may not know, but it is an absolutely gorgeous theater. It's got a five story open lobby that overlooks downtown. and You can see beautiful sunsets. And then the actual inside theater itself has these beautiful red wooden walls that look like the Red Canyons of southern Utah. Mm-hmm. And then they have these beautiful lights up on the ceiling that look like the stars. It is just a truly gorgeous theater. It's beautiful. Um, it's the most technologically advanced theater in America until the new theater in Vegas opens up. Uh, Broadway tours love coming there because it's just laid out so fantastically. Um, so, it's it's a great theater, but it was so much fun seeing this show at the Eccles with your mom. Yes. Friend, fan, supporter, fierce queen of the show, Karen, uh, who... I just I love when she comes out here and sees shows with us. It's all oh I can't wait for her to come back. Um, yeah, but it was fun to share the show with her and I can't wait to share it with her again because um, it, it was. the tour was amazing. It was just well, as good and it as just on makes you
0: feel good and it makes you excited to go out and be a good person.
1: Yes, be good. Um, so then we're gonna now travel 3,000 miles east to New York uh welcome back we're now at the al hirschfeld theater and it was i remember the show still being amazing oh inspired i already said about i want the boots intermission i already told that Mm -hmm. um after seeing the show the first time we got to meet the original cast and get pictures and autographs including billy porter and stark sands lena hall and annalee ashford and annalee ashford is a hoot for everyone she's just oh she's fun um, and
0: that performance was the first First performance
1: one. after the Tony. Yeah. And this is the first time we'd seen a show that won the Tony
0: after, right
1: after the Tonys. Yeah. So this was a new experience. And I've we've never had an experience like this since. So we're in the Kiss and Cry line.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And all of a sudden, the stage door guy just starts handing out bananas. And we're like... <laughs> okay, like, and they were handing out candy and stuff as well before, but then he started handing out bananas, and we're like, oh, this is the strangest thing I've ever gotten at a, at a stage door, like, okay, and he says, well, we got this huge bunch of bananas because we're the top banana on Broadway, and I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh my god, okay, that's, alright, but now we have a banana, and after everyone left and we got autographs, we had made friends with the stage show guy, he, um, he then offered to take us backstage, and we got a backstage tour, mm-hmm. their first show back after the Tonys, um, of Kinky Boots, and got to see all the costumes, and walk the set and everything, and mm-hmm. see the wigs. Mm-hmm. It was incredible.
0: I'm pretty sure the wig, the wig crew was still in there working yes. while we were yes. doing that tour.
1: I, I will say the the ceiling, I remember the ceiling being much lower underneath the stage, like super low. Oh, yes. And I'm thinking, how are these these angels fitting in here? Like, it's insane, you know?
0: Very carefully.
1: Um, but that that's just one of the many theaters we've gotten to go backstage at here on Broadway. But it was so cool. Um, you know, so we got to see the Tony Award that Kinky Boots won. And we got to see just everything that was, oh, I'll never forget it. Uh, later on the line down the line, um, we did get to see Brandon Urie. Yes. Um, and the insaneness that was that kiss and cry line.
0: Oof, we've been to some insane kiss and cry lines at the Al Hirschfeld.
1: Uh yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and I the last thing that like I just want to share, like I just remember how amazing the show was and how much of an effect it had. I'll say on us, but I mean I can speak for myself and say it had on me, you know, the six steps is a cardinal law in my life. It really is. And, and if you can live by those, you will have a better life. Um, this show is just such a powerful show. Such a powerful show. Theater is back and hey, we hope you can join us in the seat right next to us very, very soon.
0: You'll be able to catch Kinky Boots eight times a week at the Stage 42 Theater at 422 West 42nd Street here in New York City. Performances begin July 26, 2022.
1: We also want to remind you that you can now become a producer and a patron of the show by getting your Backstage Pass.
0: Information about our Backstage Pass can be found at patreon.com slash pod.
1: So, until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez.
0: And I'm Hope Bird.
1: Reminding you to turn off your cell phones.
0: Unwrap your candies and keep your mask on.
1: And keep talking about the theater.
0: In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe.
1: You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage whisper Pod.
0: And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod@gmail.com. at gmail.com.
1: Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by The Copy Cuts, Ultra Cat, Music for Wildlife, and Billy Murray.